Hey, this is your name, your name, your name. And uh, they say it ain't easy. Dean Green. Gang Green. The New York Jets. And their man. The Jets got themselves a great Robert Sala. Robert Sala. Talk about all gas, no break. The great one. We're not talking about effort on the field. Woo! We're talking about the process at which we do things. I'm not gonna lie to you. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up! Keep your foot on the pedal. Base, 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 base. There's no way I'm not gonna have enthusiasm on the sideline. Hey, own this run, own this run. The New York Jets. We beat anybody in the world, and I think we're gonna win next Sunday. Everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the Ain't Easy Being Green podcast, broadcasting to you live from beautiful, amazing, picturesque Crystal Lake Studios in Putnam Valley, New York. My name is Keith Farrell. I am joined, as always, by the biggest Jeff fan in the state of Texas, none other than my colleague and co-host, Michael Lagaris, everyone. You, Sammy, what? And coming in hot this week off a big time Bengals prediction, not just last week, let's be real. He was riding with them two weeks ago, this kid. So we got to give him the ultimate kudos, the ultimate flowers. My cousin Sammy, the number one high school football coach of the nation, welcome to the show, leading the squad right now in the playoff battle. How do you feel? Bengals, I told you guys. I told everybody. This flag <laughs> is real. You did. I mean, you had the faith in Burrow. You had the faith in the squad. I mean, these games this weekend again, I mean, we were all uh, messaging with one another when things started unfolding. Like, every game... Like, every game's been good. Almost, I shouldn't say, a couple games in the first round weren't the best, but pretty much every game since that first round has been great. More drama this weekend. I mean, San Francisco seems like they kind of blew that one. The Chiefs in that game is 21-3. to I'm texting Sammy. I'm like, I don't know about this. Do I, little, I, didn't, I didn't go two in. I didn't want to look too stupid. All I said was not looking good right now. I'm surprised. Obviously, I picked the Chiefs. I thought the Chiefs were going to win. I thought they were going to win the Super Bowl, the Chiefs. And they got the ball in overtime, the Chiefs. And in my head, I was saying, okay, Bengals played great. They had their chance. They could have held them at the end there. This game's a wrap right now. I'm thinking the Chiefs are going to go down and score, at least put some points on the board. The Bengals go out, stop them. McPherson, four for four. He's perfect in the playoffs. The all-time kicker. I mean, Mike, obviously we didn't pick the Bengals, but how impressed were you with their performance this week, taking out the Chiefs on the road to make it to the Super Bowl? I think what won them the game was uh, the second-half adjustments that they made on the Chiefs. I mean, uh, Patrick Mahomes was torching them in that first half. Tyreek Hill was all over the place. So was Travis Kelsey. They were just doing what they wanted. And then after that second half, they came out and they made adjustments. And Mahomes just wasn't executing like he was in the first half. And I thought that's really what it, what led uh, the Cincinnati back into the game. And they made the plays that they needed to make to then force it into overtime. They were able to hold them to just a field goal instead of being able to capitalize on a touchdown. So this whole narrative around the Bills and, oh, we should get one more chance. Stop them. That's what we said earlier. Stop them. Stop them. That's what the Cincinnati Bengals did. They, They didn't get the coin toss, but they did stop them. And that's what you should be able to do. Okay, as a professional football team. And then they went down and then they won the game and good for them. Burrow. Look, I wasn't the biggest fan of Burrow because of the small hands, because of the fact that what's his name beat him out. Haskins beat him out at Ohio State. That he was an older cat, and the you know a lot of the narratives around him. I thought he was going to be hyped. He's not. He's a baller. He he got in there. He did what he had to do. He's in the Super Bowl. I uh, mix in that whole squad. I mean, I'm really happy for the city of Cincinnati. 
and their fans and i wish them all the luck in the super bowl and look patrick mahomes they had a phenomenal year and they lost and that's just it and you know what that's why this game is so hard that's why we'll talk about tom brady soon winning seven super bowls how amazing that is because it is extremely 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 hard to win in this league so yeah. good for them that's true man i think to me i was surprised that the Chiefs in the second half, or at least when they got that lead, didn't stick to that running game a little bit more just because it was actually working pretty good with McKinnon. Maybe they could have chewed up some more clock. But I think a turning point in that game was a touchdown to Pirine, which, I mean, he's not the fastest guy in the world, but right the one minute left there before the half. Sam, I know you were watching. It's 21-3 to at that point. Things are not looking good for the Bengals. Was that kind of the turning point in the game? Because after that point, I mean, it was it was 21-3. to The Chiefs didn't score a point again until the time clicking off the clock in the fourth quarter. It seems like after that play, the Bengals controlled the rest of the entire game aside from one drive for the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, it, it was clear pretty early on the Bengals offense couldn't do anything against the Chiefs. Um, and I get they just kind of settled in after that touchdown. They, I guess those first couple of drives, maybe they were getting their feet wet. Kind of, They went into this game with a lot of hype, right? They're playing the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes came off that huge win. He balled out. So getting that first touchdown really settles you out and kind of evens out an offense. Um, especially one as young as them, just getting that ball in that end zone is a good feeling for such a young team being like, all right, it's, you know, it's 21-10 and we've come back from this before. Remember earlier in the season, the Chiefs were all big at half and the Bengals came back in that game two and one. True. So it's not like they hadn't been there before. I think it was just a matter of them getting settled in. That's a, that's a great point, man. They came back on them once earlier this year. So the Bengals already knew they could do it. Just got to do it when it matters the most, which is what they did. McPherson ties the game in the fourth quarter with the field goal. I mean, I should say, puts, gives them the go-ahead with the fourth quarter in the field goal, makes the game-winning field goal to put him in the Super Bowl. Um, good for him. Like we said, Burrow, 250 yards, two touchdowns for him, one interception. Mahomes, not like he played that bad, but it seems like most of his stats and most of what he did was there in the first half. In the second half, like Mike said, wasn't able to get it going. Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl this year. Congrats to Sammy. Congrats to the Wookiee. who have both been riding with them. We'll get to their predictions for the Super Bowl in a minute. I think Wookiee's going to be on with us in a minute. If not, we'll get his uh, prediction uh, next week. But I want to say this, man. The next game, San Francisco and the Rams. The the way the game was going in the first half seemed like it was going to be low scoring, and it pretty much was. I mean, Jimmy G didn't look that bad until that horrible play in the fourth quarter. 17-7. I think there was only a minute or two left in the third quarter. Another game where a team probably had their foot on the neck of, of, of and think they're going to the Super Bowl, weren't able to hold it down. San Francisco couldn't get anything going in that fourth quarter. Horrible turnover by Jimmy G at the end with a chance to go down and tie the game up. I think Matthew Stafford deserves some credit. Obviously, Cooper Cup played great. Beckham had a great game, guys. Um, we all picked the Rams to win it. Was anyone surprised here? Let me ask you, Mike. Were you surprised how close it was? Did you think there was 17-7, San Francisco had it, and it was going to be Bengals-San Francisco rematch in the Super Bowl? Or did you think the Rams still had a chance there when they were down 10? I mean, I think the game kind of played out the way I thought it was going to. I think that McVay made some really bad calls uh, trying to challenge. So that I think that really kind of hurt them. But I just overall, I knew it was going to be a bloodbath. I knew it was going to be hard for it defensive game. But I just thought in the end that the Rams would win out because they were the more talented team. They are across the board. They're better at quarterback, better at receiver, better at running. Well, not really better at running back if you want with Cam Akers and the uh the torn Achilles. He's not the same guy, at least I remember. But yeah, you know, we'll 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 just see what what's going on with that. But the defense was beast mode. They were after Garoppolo. Garoppolo made those changes in the end. So I think the better team won. Uh, they're going to the Super Bowl. I think it's going to be a phenomenal Super Bowl. Um, I think that McVeigh and that team already have been there and lost, and that's a definitely going to be 
an advantage for them, along with the fact that they're playing at home in the Super Bowl. So I thought the the better team won there. Um, I thought the best teams would have been Casey and uh, the Rams, but Cincinnati proved that that is wrong. They are the better team, and we've got a great matchup here in Super Bowl 56. Yeah, I'm excited because I feel like the Rams and the Bengals are like two teams that don't rile people up in any one way or the other where um, people are going to be rooting against one of those teams. Like the Pats were in there, or say the Eagles played, or the Cowboys played, or the Steelers played, where you know there's a built-in fan base that just hates those teams. I don't see that for the Rams. I don't see that for the Bengals. They're not really those type of teams that bring type that type of emotion out of people. Sam, let me just get your thoughts on the game real quick. Um, it's 17-7 to there, 49ers rolling. Rams, of course, reeled off the last, uh, you know, 13 points of the game, walk away with a W. Do you think the 49ers just blew that game, or do you think the Rams are just the better team and, that, and the better team just walked away with the W? Yeah, I think they're just the better team. I mean, when you have guys like Aaron Donald and Von, Von Miller putting pressure, it's only a matter of time before Jimmy G makes a mistake, and that matter of time was probably the most important time of the game for him where he really couldn't afford to make one. Um, he put some pressure on him, and he made, he made a crucial error. So I think, like Mike said, hit the nail on the head. The better team came out with that win. That's true, man. That play at the end was wild. Because, I mean, they still had like a minute and a half left or something. So I am I was thinking the way things have been going with these playoffs and these comebacks at the end, they're going down. They're getting a field goal. I mean, that's what I, just how my mind was working with the way how tight that game was. Not how it turned out. Horrible play by Jimmy G. We'll see what happens with him in this offseason. Now, let's get these Super Bowl predictions real quick, guys. I just want to see what Mike thinks and Sammy thinks. We'll get into a big one next week. Sammy, you still riding with the Bengals, though? Are you still riding with the Bengals? Just get it out into the universe right now. You've been riding with them so far. Okay, you've been spot on the whole run through here. Now they come up against the Rams. We're going to break it down next week. Just real quick, in 15 seconds, your prediction for the Super Bowl. Go. I, I feel like I have to stick with the Bengals. Even though, <laughs> nice, okay. Even though my mind is telling me that Darnold is going to be a huge problem for them. But, yeah. uh... I don't know. When we get to our breakdown, you'll get my official pick. How's that? All right, we'll get on that <laughs> next week for our Super Bowl preview next week. We'll all talk about it. Mike, your first gut instinct, Rams, Bengals, what do you feel in your gut? I definitely think the Rams are going to win, and it's not. it has nothing to do with football. And when we get into our predictions, if we want, I'll explain it. But there are other things out there, curses, that I'll uh, – um, bring to the table and let you guys know some inside stuff some real stuff do you guys remember back in super bowl 47 when the baltimore ravens were playing against the san francisco 49ers and then all of a sudden the lights went out yeah remember yeah. that and then a team yeah. came coming back that was after something wow. was uttered and it just changed the course of history so i, I will it. explain why uh, later on and and who right. and it is someone who's on this this uh program a few times, Bennett Richardson. Oh, I love it. You know what? All right, tune in next week. Cause Mike have some juicy tidbits for you guys when we do the Super Bowl breakdown and preview. We're going to get into a few little jet news and notes here. Talk about Tom Brady. Talk about the bombshell lawsuit Brian Flores dropped on the, the NFL today. Uh, let's get into all that right now. The situation uh, kind of got heavy on me. Okay, New York Jets, Michael. We heard our boy Robert Sala, the head coach, say something that is pretty logical, something that most podcasts, most writers, most Jet fans kind of figured. But George Fonts played well enough last year that Makai Becton is not just getting back to his left tackle spot, which I know some people might be saying, well, of course that's not going to happen. But when you draft a guy as high as they drafted Becton and you're invested in him like they are, not all teams will go ahead and say that publicly, which is what Sala did. You know, a coach's way of almost putting him on blast, saying, look, if you don't get yourself in shape, if you don't come correct, if you don't get yourself in order in all these different ways off the field, you're not going to be playing on the field. 
Mike, were you surprised by that? Uh, Salah coming out with such strong statements, basically saying it's George Font's job to lose. Is kind of how I interpreted that. He is aligned with our thinking. We said that coming in, Beckton shouldn't have the te- they, the position just his after what Fant did. So for the fact that he comes, so stuff like that really validates my opinion of Robert Sala because yeah. you and I feel certain things like remember when sanchez got a new contract and we were like yo what the hell are they thinking right there's delta there we just don't get it but how we think sometimes like for him to validate that and come out early with that and in from an expectations perspective so we're not going to be like oh i wonder if you know beckton's gonna be starting no, like right now son like it's not even free agency. Yo, your 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 position is unlocked. That's the right thing to do. So that kid could be motivated in the off season to get in shape, to make sure he's in the playbook, make sure he's part of OTAs, so that he's part of full training camp and win your position. Because yeah, you were drafted number eleven overall in the first round, but what we have seen is absolutely not meeting expectations. Now we know that you're a big human and that you are someone that can uh, absolutely change the game out there and we want you to be, but you're gonna have to show us that, okay? So that's what Sal is saying straight up. And I think that was a fantastic decision. Yeah, no, we're on the same page completely. And I wanna ask Sammy, the number one football coach in America right now. Now, you're out there. You're trying to get these kids to play as good as possible. Maybe some of them are underachieving. Maybe some of them are dragging ass or something like that. To light a fire sometimes, you got to do what you got to do. Are you surprised at all by Coach Sala coming out here publicly at least and making the statements he made and kind of letting Beckton know what the deal was? And it's only January. I mean, he's already letting him know what the story is. Are you surprised by that at all? thing about this guy tells us that he's very upfront. And he's not going to sugarcoat things with his players because that's just not the person he is, right? Even when we talked about Denzel Williamson earlier in the season, it's that same sort of approach where it's like, listen, you need to do the right things in order to be a starter on this football team. And that starts with you keeping your body in shape and your mind sharp. And he's been very clear about what his standards are for that football team. So I think putting him on blast early, it's not like he's not giving him enough time. It's not like we're in August. And he's saying that, yeah, you yeah. know, now Becton's got six, seven, eight months to get himself right mentally and physically. So I loved it. Yeah, I, I guess that's true, dude. It's like the off season. I mean, the season's not even over yet. So someone like Becton, who basically didn't play last year, he should already be getting it going. He should, his off season should have already started. So maybe that's a coach Salah trying to push him in that direction. And if there's something that he needs to maybe put things in perspective, Makai Becton, maybe it's one of his teammates who we found out today is retiring from the NFL. Cameron Clark, we know he had a spinal injury on, in training camp. Sometimes guys like Beckton, you get drafted number 11 overall, right? You're a monster. You're in New York. You're you're on the cover of magazines in New York, and people are buying your jersey, and you have a lot of hype, and you play decent enough your rookie year. Um, and then you kind of maybe get too big for your britches coming into the second season. I don't know. It just seemed like from reports, he wasn't as motivated this year. Maybe he wasn't in the best physical shape. A guy like Cameron Clark, fourth-round guy, never even able to get on the field for the Jets. Nagged by injuries, you know, never able to do it, has to retire early. I want to say the Jets this week are out there at the Senior Bowl. And you always see these four-year guys who maybe you don't know about before the Senior Bowl pop up. And you say, oh, he had a great Senior Bowl. You don't know how much that means. Is it good for someone to have one week of practice or one great game as opposed to just being great for four years? I don't know. But, Sammy, what do you think? Our coaches are out there getting a first look at these dudes. Um, if you were out there, if you're Sala, what are you going to take away? Or what type of things are you going to be doing in practice maybe? What can you do in practice to get some extra intel on your side 
when it comes to the draft and the New York Jets? So, I mean, schematically, you could try to run the same things that you run on your own team and see how well certain, or even certain concepts, right? Passing concepts, defensive concepts, just to see how well those guys would fit into those positions in the future. But I think if you're solid, you're really looking forward, like for those guys in that third, fourth, fifth round in a bowl game like this, where, yeah. you know, the first round's kind of over, over, always over talked about. And this is where a senior bowl game, you get those hidden gem guys, you know? that are like, like you so said, four-year guys that like are just studs, but never got the hype. So I think that's really where they should go with it. Yeah, yeah, man. Speaking of coaches with the Jets here, so Matt Cavanaugh, we know he had to come in here to be the QB coach, Sammy, last year because Greg Knapp had that tragedy before the season. He passed away. It was going to be our quarterback coach. Totally horrible situation. Cavanaugh wasn't in the greatest spot. Zach Wilson didn't play the best we know. Are you going to blame the quarterback coach? I don't know. Didn't seem like he meshed well. He's out of here. Uh, John Beck also, I think it was kind of Zach Wilson's personal quarterback coach, whatever scenario that was, quarterback guru. He's out of here as well. I think that, you know, Zach Wilson, you can't really say last year, aside from those final five games, that he was very consistent. So I can't really disagree with that, that too much. So it looks like there's going to be some changes in the, in the, in the coaching situation next year. We're also going to have a quality control coach on offense. Sammy, can you please explain to me? And maybe some of the viewers, maybe some of the listeners here, what a quality control control coach is going to be doing on an NFL football team. Just the guy, like I'm I just watched Google the four. Right falls, I watched the four falls of Buffalo, and Thurman Thomas, we know, missed that one drive in the Super Bowl because he couldn't find his helmet. Is that what this so, guy's doing? Are you just so finding helmets? They, like they analyze game film for statistical purposes. Oh, that sounds like that sounds like a fun job. Yeah. Okay, I, I could mess with that. Okay, so we have yeah. one of those guys. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. That's fine with me. I mean, anything we can do, get as much data as humanly possible. I'll just watch the money ball. Right. I mean, some of these guys are out there figuring out algorithms of things, and we're making breakthroughs. Hopefully, we have yeah. one of those I mean, guys on done, the squad. We've seen the uh, what it's done for hitting in baseball. Like, yeah. <laughs> clearly, it works, you know? Exactly. Hey guys, that's the Jets news and notes we have here. Now, Tom Brady retiring is a huge story, but I think, guys, the biggest story right now was the bombshell that got dropped today. I mean, there's many layers to this, and some of them are more important than others to people. But Brian Flores' lawsuit against the NFL here, alleging a variety of different things that are just astonishing, to be honest with you. Um, $100,000, you get a $100,000 bonus for every loss the Dolphins had in 2019, according to him. That's what owner Jeffrey Ross said to him. Um, the Giants had already hired Dayball before they even spoke to him, so he thinks his interview is a sham. He feels humiliated. He said John Elway showed up hungover for his interview and an hour late, back when you interviewed him in 2019. Um, there's a lot going on here, a lot of moving pieces here in this lawsuit. I think that there's a very sensitive area when you talk about the Rooney Rule and the situation in the NFL, and for a lot of different reasons. Because you put teams in a position where, say for instance, the coach they wanted to hire is Caucasian. And they want this guy. But they have to, by rule, interview minority candidates. I feel like you are making, you are humiliating them to a degree. You are, it, it is something that's a, it's a useless practice. In, in, in theory, you think about it, it's a waste of time. And I know the reason why they're doing it is promote more interviews with minorities. And I don't know if there's a better solution, but I mean, Brian Flores is more than qualified to coach any team in the NFL, don't get me wrong. Um, but I think it's a very, very tricky situation for some of these teams. They're kind of in a bad spot for some of these coaches that do want to coach somewhere. So they're thinking to themselves, do I go on this interview? That might just be because they're trying to just check a box, right? Not even because they really want me. Do I want to do this to myself, 
right? And I mean, I feel on both sides, it really has created an awkward situation. I'd love to get Mike's thoughts on this and everything going on Flores, this lawsuit, some of his allegations. I mean, Mike, this is kind of uncharted territory here for the NFL for a coach to be this honest, forward, open about his problems with the league behind the scenes. Well, you know, whenever we're talking about race, it, it's always something that uh, not a topic that is uh, easy to talk about. It's like the elephant in the room, if you will. Uh, I actually uh, company, um, that's something about me. And uh, I actually am a part of our inclusion and diversity um, wing. And inclusion and diversity is uh, a topic that's extremely important because when you look at an organization across the board, if you feel that you are not wanted or part of the solution and that your voice doesn't matter as much as others for whatever reason, then you're not going to really give and be part of your max value, essentially. Like me and Keith and Sammy on here, we all are AEBG. We all know that our opinions matter and that we respect one another. So when you feel uh, that you are part of the solution and when you feel that your voice matters and you feel that you can be you, you're going to get the best, the most value out of that person for that uh, organization, which is trying to achieve their certain goals. And when you look at the NFL, look, guys, let's just be completely, I'm not trying to, you know, poke the bear. I'm not trying to, 70% of the workers are black. 70%, right? These people are the subject matter experts. They're the ones that are doing it every day, right? And it's not just 70%. Now, you go back, what, 15, 20 years, a lot of the percentage of the the groups of people who are playing are African-American. There is one working head coach in the NFL that's black. I mean, dude, that, I mean, I don't know. Again, say what you will, but here's the truth. The truth is like, you know, what pro when we have projects we pick who we know and trust to work with that's just the facts that's what people do they they work with people who they know and trust so when we're talking about the nfl a lot of the coaches that are hired are people that the gms know and trust and race is is important right but it's not the most important. And I, I get and I understand that perspective because everybody's trying to execute and do a great job. But the truth is, is that the outcomes are not right and it needs to get fixed. And Flores is calling it out saying, look, you guys brought me in to check a box or whatever. And you didn't really, you know, Elway coming in hung over. You didn't really give me a fair shot. And if yeah. you look at Tomlin, Tomlin was brought in maybe because of the Rooney rule, but they gave him a shot. They didn't, you know what I'm saying? And look, so that's it is what it is. Yeah. And I think some people, some of the criticisms I've heard about, I shouldn't say criticisms, but some of the things people's initials reaction to Flores coming out with all this stuff was, well, look at the reason he's not coaching the Dolphins now. Because I guess his personality and didn't mesh well with Jeffrey Ross, and that's why that he got let go. Even though the past two years he did a pretty good job, I know he was I know he was 24 and 25 his record there. But if you look at the past two years, I think he was one of the better coaches in the league. I think sometimes people need to be able to separate the fact that 
Flores might have gotten let go because he was a jerk in Miami, and that also might have nothing to do with the fact that everything he's claiming is still true. They can both exist in the same space. Um, you might not like, people might not have liked him or how he treated some people in Miami. I know I didn't get four offensive line coaches in a couple years, or a lot of, a lot of in and out with the coaches. If you didn't respect him, you were gone, all these type of things. That's just how some coaches are, but that's separate to the side from the fact that he is a good coach and he is qualified. And if any of these things are saying are true, I mean, they're kind of shocking, especially the one about the $100,000 to lose games, Elway being hungover. I don't know how, I don't know how you tell someone's hungover, but that would be, that'd be surprising also. And the situation with the Giants, I think, is probably what upset him the most because if he's thinking Dayball already got the job and you're calling me in just for no reason, if he's someone and, he, and you put yourself as someone that you think is NFL coach level, as we know who he already is, then that is insulting to you. You know, he's not someone who wants to just be someone who comes in to check a box. He wants to coach your team. So if you're not calling me in to give me a fair shot at that, then what are we doing here? I mean, I, I understand that line of thinking. And Mike, like you said, if there's sick, uh, if there's one head coach in the NFL that's a minority. It happens to be Mike Tomlin, an African American. And there's six general managers that fall into that same category. But you have 70% of the league. If that's true, I think that number is pretty accurate. Um, that is minority or African American. This, that's a massive disparity. That's not a number you can kind of not pay attention to there because it's pretty big. I mean, I think there's six or seven teams that have never had a minority coach or a minority GM. I know the Cowboys have it. I know the Falcons have it. There's a few other ones. So, I mean, that's a strange situation. And this this lawsuit is just mind-boggling, some of these things in here. Sammy, what were your takeaways when you saw all these things that Flores is claiming do you think it's somebody that's just mad at the system because of the way things went in Miami? Do you think these are all righteous reasons for him to be upset? And this is really something that the NFL is going to have to reckon with. You know, there is a certain way you should go about conducting business, especially. So if the Giants in their mind already knew that they were going to hire this guy, like uh, maybe you, if you want, if you're hiring, if you have to check that box, why are you picking a guy who is very qualified to coach your yeah. football team and who a lot of fans wanted to coach that football team ultimately as well? Why even bring him in the building at all? Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, those numbers you guys threw out are staggering. Like the, I mean, that ratio doesn't make any logical sense to me, especially being that you would think, think about like, I'm a history teacher, right? So like, think about how many former military people become president of the United States. It, it's like a natural transgression to go from being a player to a coach, you know? You would think that there would be way more of these guys coming back and being in the system coaching and you don't see any of them really. Um, and I think that I think that means the system's clearly broken or skewed yeah. in some way, right? I mean, this is going to be interesting to follow the developments of this case. If you think of some of the things he alleged and some of the people that might have to be deposed in this situation, I mean, it could be earth shattering some of the things that get revealed. And so far as the behind the scenes mechanics of the NFL and this machine they have created, guys like Jeffrey Ross and these these billionaires that own these teams, I will say that if you make accusations in their direction, people that are billionaires, I mean, it almost never works out for that person. I mean, you can get caught red-handed like Robert Kraft uh, with a 95-year-old Taiwanese woman, you know, in a broom closet or whatever the hell he did, and just skate. He still owns the team. No one cares. Everyone just moves on. Like, it just never happened, right, guys? So um, I just, just got to be careful, man. I'm interested to see where this goes. And, of course, the final thing we have to get to, real quick before we get out of here, because, of course, the whole world, when Tom Brady officially announced his retirement. I know it came out with Adam Schefter. A few other people reported it. 
Tom Brady refuted those reports, went on his own podcast, said he needs time to make his mind up. And 12 hours later, you got the announcement, Brady's out of here. I know the first thing that I thought wasn't about Brady, wasn't about Tampa Bay fans or Patriot fans. It was what Michael Lagaris thought. Because I don't know if there's any player that's caused you more harm or that you despise more, at least when he was on the Patriots. I know times have changed, Michael. I know you think he's a cheater. You're not someone who's the biggest Tom Brady fan. But he's walking away from the sport, probably the greatest quarterback of all time, as much as we hate him. What did you think when you saw Tom Brady, Michael? He's packing it up, calling it quits after 22 seasons. About damn time. That's what I first thought. (laughs) I'm done with it. I mean, I'm over it. You know what I'm saying? I'm over it. Like, you win, just get the hell out of here. we're, We're done seeing your grill. Um, look, is he the greatest quarterback of all time? Yeah, I'll say it. Um, is, you know, he, so I'm a New York Met fan and I remember Chipper Jones used to destroy us when he retired. I had a lot of respect for him. I know, uh, he was a great adversary as far as he had the skill. He went out there and, you know, earned every stripe and, uh, you know, I didn't like him, but I gave him his respect. Tom Brady, the reason why I look at Tom, the facts are the facts. He was part of an organization that cheated. And there's zero, that's not fake news. I'm not being a hater. It's true. A lot of the the accomplishments that his team was awarded was because they cheated the game. End of story. And that should be on his resume. Now, he's not going to get destroyed like Barry Bonds or, or Ortiz or any of these people because he didn't. You, you can't take it and pin it on him directly. It was his organization, right? Um, and he benefited from his organization's sure. decisions, right? Sure. Okay, so, you know, them stealing play sheets and then, you know, you know putting that rating it into him and him knowing, hey, that defensive guy is going to be doing this, X, Y, Z, whatever. So, greatest, yeah, um, I can respect that you wanted to prove everybody wrong and be an asshole fine cool but you were part of cheating and uh i know the yankees when they look at Tuve when he retires he was a part of a cheating organization yeah I'm sorry i'm sorry that 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 narrative sucks but it's true so good for you you, you know as far as being on the mount rushmore keith i don't know man like I look at Pele, I look at Michael Jordan, I look at Babe Ruth, I look at Muhammad Ali, and I don't know if Brady, to me, goes above any of those four guys, so. No, I mean, Muhammad Ali is, you know, he's in a different, you know, he's my favorite athlete of all time, Michael, so he's in a different, I think he's in a different stratosphere for boxing reasons, one of the GOATs, but also outside of the ring, just one of the greatest humans. What has Tom Brady done besides do commercials for, you know, patent leather gloves, you know, where they slow-mo in on his face or some, or Chanel number five or some garbage like that. You're not doing anything for humanity, Brady. But Michael, I can't disagree with you at all. I want to ask Sammy a question. Now, Sammy's a little younger than us. Sammy's entire life that he can remember football, Tom Brady's been playing football. So he walks away, retires here, Sammy. He's played 37 games, excuse me, 39 games against the Jets. He's 31 and eight in his career, guys. In those 37 games in the regular season, 9,000 yards passing against the Jets. We know he won seven Super Bowls. We know he tortured us. Were you happy to see him go, uh, Sam, or did you not mind as much now because he's on the Buccaneers? I'm happy to see him go. Like you said, my whole life has been Tom Brady, you know? So it's yeah. just been like L after L. Like, I will say you said 31 and 8. Those 8 were sweet, though. <laughs> <laughs> I love those 8 so much. Those 8 meant more than any other win over that yeah. span of time, you know? Um, that Super Bowl, we beat them in the playoffs yeah. in 2011, yeah. 2010-2011 season. That win at this point in my life 
is the most like emotional I've ever been after any football game. Right. In and my entire I'm life. Just, I'm just so happy that he's gone. And I do have to say to Mike's point, deflated footballs are now synonymous with Brady. I know because my quarterback, let's say he likes a little bit of a softer ball. All right. And every single rep before the game looks at him and he goes, what is your guy, Tom Brady or something? Every rep, every game. So yeah. it's, you know. It's and you know what else, things. man? Like Wayne Gretzky never got suspended for cheating or Michael Jordan. Muhammad Ali that never got suspended for cheating. He just went to jail for holding it down for his rights as a human. So he's not comparable to the GOATs of all time to me, but obviously one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I'm happy to see him go as well. He still played great right to the end. I think he's up there in passing yards too. So still had a great season walking out on top. I don't. I think Brady looks at the Buccaneers and sees a team that's not going to probably be that much better next year. If you think about it, guys, they don't have that much cap space either. A lot of injuries this year. So I don't think that's a team that's going to get that much better than they were this year. So, man, go out. Go on your shield, Brady. See you later. You've been torturing people long enough, coming back on people long enough. And, you know, good riddance. Good riddance, Tom Brady. Peace. ABG Universe, uh, I hope everyone made it through the storm okay this past Nor'easter, this past weekend. My house, which happens to be situated right on a lake, facing a lake, lakeside, was getting blasted with negative 15 winds for three or four days. Pipes froze. It's an older house. No heat in the house. No water. Pipes exploded everywhere. Tough three days for me and the wife, I want to say. Wife, I love you. You're a trooper. You're from California, but you held it down. I'm very proud of you. We did a great job. We have heat. We have water. We have power. We have everything back now. Oh, it was tough three days, though. I hope everyone else made it through it safe. Right. Michael, if anyone does want to get at us, support us, or be involved in the AEBG world in any way, shape, or form, where could they do that? Well, you can find us on Facebook at AEBG.JetsRadio, on Twitter at AEBG underscore NYJ podcast, and on Instagram at Jet.AEBG. You heard the man on behalf of the biggest chef in the state of Texas, Michael Agaris, and the number one high school football coach in the nation today, my cousin Sammy. Catch you next week, everybody. Peace out.